0: The Sports Career Podcast, episode 348. How can gamification improve fan loyalty and revenue streams in a football club? Hello, Sports Achiever. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crew Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector of the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in data and how it's applied in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports crew development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Lorraine Molosi. Lorraine is the head of communications and PR at Data Talks. Also, she's the co-author of a book, More Supporters, Superior Sales, Real Revenue, and Four Fundamentals of Selling Tickets and Merchandise. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Lorraine as a podcast special guest on the show, where she will explain her sports career journey and explain to you how gamification can improve fan loyalty and revenue streams at a football club. Have a listen and enjoy. Lorraine, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please, you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start?
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I must admit, I um, I was going to say I don't often get nervous, but I always actually get nervous whenever I do these things. And the fact that I also run a podcast and have been running it for the last year and a half does not make much of a difference at all. So if I'm a bit mumbly, it's the nerves. We'll get into it eventually but um how my journey started in sports actually it was it was a fluke it was fate it was god you decide but basically i had just moved to sweden and i needed a job and after months of debating with myself whether i'd move to stockholm or not which is sort of further away from my family because i moved to sweden to be closer to my family i eventually gave in because that's where all the jobs were and i started looking and actually, Data Talks was one of the the companies that were hiring at the time, and they were hiring for a marketing content specialist. And the job description sounded like exactly what I wanted to do because I love content. I love, obviously, I run a podcast. I love um, creating videos, writing blogs. I just write I just love writing and just kind of being creative and so yeah the job sounded amazing and then I joined and then at data talks like sports is at the heart of everything right Um, our only customers are sports clubs leagues and federations so everything is 100 percent sports um, sort of plus the SaaS side of things and so that's how my journey started in sports and it has been incredible
0: I want to dig deep, though, of your background education because I did do my research and there's a few things that I just really would love to dig into because I know the listener resonate with what I'm going to say. If you do a degree that isn't sport degree related, you did an acting degree. And I'm just curious, just going back a step, what inspired you to do that? And maybe what are the skills of acting that have helped you in the sports industry?
1: Now we're going back to when I was, uh, I was like 18 now and I dropped out of my university because I went to university in Botswana, the university of Botswana when I was 18 for a year and a half. And then I dropped out and at that time I was studying like a Bachelor of Science in real estate and it was like the inaugural sort of uh, class and like it was a big deal. And then I dropped out and I was like, hmm. I can sing, I can dance, and I love my fashion, but I can't act. So I'm going to act because one day I'm going to be a star. (laughs) And so that's when I enrolled into the acting program. And then uh, quickly, like, I think things started to hit me, you know, like the culture shock, the just everything, the being 18 and you're becoming like an adult and now you have thoughts and you can think and you can, you know, you have to reason, all those kinds of things, they started to hit me. And then at that time, like acting, the arts, all of that is still my first love. Music is still my first love. And I would love to eventually kind of go back and focus more on that. But um, I soon realized that I it made me feel out of control because with acting and the nature of the arts is that, you don't really have a set path, right? You have to hustle. You have to be out there doing stuff. And at that time I needed a visa. I was drowning in depression and it was just like, I could not keep up with that sort of like, believe in yourself and be out there, you know? And so then I ended up actually, um, going to teach english and then i was like yeah but this is not my life what am i going to do now and then i studied marketing so i think that from my acting i really learned to connect with my humanity and learned to because at the end of the day whatever you do you're connecting to people i don't care if you are going to be working with ai or whatever at the end of the day there is some someone else involved And if you're able to to listen, there's a there's a quote by Stella Adler, who's one of the first sort of like main practitioners of acting. And she taught like acting in out of New York City. And her quote is acting is reacting. So in acting, the whole idea is that you're not going to pretend you're going to actually listen and react and that's that's what makes a good actor and so in the business world and in your private life whatever you do you have to listen and then kind of respond right so that's the main kind of key takeaway i took from from acting just that being able to get in touch with myself and work with my gut a lot because uh one of my managers he's very analytical so he works with the brain a lot and so one time when i said to him hmm. I don't know. I don't know what my instinct is telling me. Like, I I need to to kind of think about this and feel it and feel it in my gut. And he was like, what? And I was like, I'm sorry, but that's how I work. Like, I know something is right by feeling it in my gut first, and then I'll figure out why it's right eventually. But what the marketing degree did was it helped me sort of like, bridge the gap because you can't just rely on your gut all the time sometimes you need to be like quicker and like reason quickly and so with the marketing I learned like critical thinking because my my master's degree like it really focused on thinking about things from different um, stakeholders perspective right and uh, uh, I know palm oil has nothing to do with sports but an example that we did actually that was like blew my mind was when we're talking about palm oil because palm oil is very controversial right and so then we got asked to do a project and kind of drill deep and look at the various stakeholders. So you'd look at the governments, like in the EU, for example, why are they allowing palm oil to be imported in or products to be uh, made using palm oil, right? And it's like, okay, it's, it's cheaper for them. You look at the industry itself, like the manufacturers, why are they using it? Again, it's cheaper, but not only that, but it's actually, it has less of a strong smell, strong flavor and all that kind of stuff but versus if you use coconut oil or olive oil or whatever, and then you think about the the local uh, people, it's an industry for them. So they're getting an income, right? So if you stop, if they stop producing palm oil, they then get hungry. But then if you look at activists from the West, they think about the orangutans and then the conversation of the locals versus the, the sort of the international community. So is it, do you want to kill the orangutans or do you want to kill the local people? Right. So then being able to drill into things like that, I think it's something that I use a lot in the sports industry as well, because sometimes uh, without going into much detail, things may aren't always what they seem to be. You know, so you need to be able to kind of dig deeper in that sense.
0: I'm going to go carry on with this because I think even myself invested in myself to be a better presenter. And I've learned like acting can make you a better storyteller. So with regards to the marketing angle of storytelling, also like human behavior, how has it helped that end? Because I want the listeners to think of learning. If you are acting, you're like, how does it relate to sport or marketing? Hopefully this conversation will help you. So I'm just curious of how has it made you a better storyteller with the acting component and also marketing component as well?
1: I think it's being able to to carry the story from start to finish without filtering yourself, without judgment. There's an exercise that we used to do in acting called yes and. So it, the idea is that if we we're doing something, you and I had, um a project and you give a suggestion, I would say yes and and add on to that versus going no, but you know, and it would be like a simple thing. Like maybe you'd say, oh, we're going to buy a pink elephant. And then I'd be like, yes, and we're going to sprinkle some glitter on it. And then you're like, yes, and we will whatever. So you keep on building on each other. So that whole idea of like, don't don't approach anything with judgment, right? And actually, when it comes to the podcast, how I uh, how I run the podcast is that Often people will come on and they would ask me, what do you want me to talk about? And I'll say to them, actually, like in our introduction introductory calls, I would be like, "Um, you tell me about yourself and then I'll just listen to you. And then I'll tell you then what I think we should talk about. And what I listen to is I, I listen to their words, but I also listen to how their voice changes when they speak someone who speaks about something that they don't care about they're quite monotonous they're quite measured they're quite it's all very like clean and you just okay amen. but somebody who's quite passionate they're like they can either get into a rant where they're just talking for ages it might not make much sense but you, you're hearing the passion right And then sometimes it's like, it's the animation and the body language and all those kinds of things. So then it's like, when you listen, you're not just listening to, and as well, like in, uh, now you're taking me back to drama school. there's, um, There's a thing called subtext, right? And so like, sometimes people talk and then it's like, you say, hey, how are you? I'm good. But then what are they saying underneath what they just said, That their statement, right? And so then it's like, that really helps with sales, for example, because if somebody go, goes, oh, yeah, that's that's an, uh, a great idea. I'll think about it. It's like, okay, that's what they're saying. But behind that word, what are they actually saying? Like, if you, if you see that maybe they, they're saying a statement, but their body language looks slightly different, then you can kind of continue and be like, um... So, so how does that sound? Or or you can ask a question that will make them give you more information in that sense, right? So in terms of storytelling, approaching every story with zero judgment, um, making sure that you're not preempting the story, right? Because you might say, let's get a pink elephant. And then I'm already like, oh, this is what we're, we're going to use the elephant for or what we're going to do with the elephant. When actually I could just let the story unfold. And this, again, this is great for like business um, development or product development in the sense of a data talks when we first started our community our women in sports community we didn't want to sort of preempt what the need was for the market so what we did was that we had the community we were talking to different people and then we would see like emerging themes okay people want to network people want to learn more people want to actually take their community and what they learn in the community and apply it to their work and so then we were able to respond to what was emerging versus kind of preempting the story and going, yeah, you need one, two, three, and we're going to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think it all started with the, with the, with the acting, really. It's like every story at the end of the day, sometimes a story, like you never tell the story just for the sake of telling a story. You tell a story for the sake of something. So being able to sort of, Maybe you tell a story, but then able to link it back to your business objectives or to whatever goal you had in mind or having a goal as a starting point and then being able to find the story that will
0: actually help you reach that goal better. I don't know if I answered your question or whatever. You have. You definitely have because it's about connectivity. And like you're a podcast, I'm a podcast, I'm active and in listening. I call it active listening and, and hearing your tonality. So we're going decoding this. I'm going to take a step back to listen because we've gone really deep there where I'm so grateful for reflecting the last year of podcasting. How's it supported you as a content creator? Because just going back eight years ago, back in 2015, when nobody knew what podcasting was, I had to keep saying it was an audio, a digital audio folder that went online. I had to keep saying that to get guests on the show. Without a doubt, I'm a big believer that if you want to work in the sports industry, being a content creator, you learn so many skills individually, but also staying in front of the trend of how things are in society or like certainly technology so from your podcast experience what have you learned the most of like you said right at the beginning like getting out your comfort zone even starting with your nerves I'm just curious
1: I think one thing that I've learned that I think is everything when it comes to content creation is that consistency like, I don't care how awful your podcast is. You It will grow if you're just consistent, you know. Of course, like now, like I'm not saying like use bad equipment where people can hardly hear. I mean, if like the basic quality is there as long as you're consistent. And it's the same for social media, right? Because... Part of creating content is also distributing it. You don't create content and then just sit on it. You have to be able to share it and send it out. And the main thing is just consistency and consistency in actually producing the content, you know, and having it like we, our podcast were on episode 86 at the moment. And we've never, and in Sweden, actually you count the weeks. So we started in week one. And so then it means we've done 86 consecutive weeks of content without missing a week you know that is huge you know but also the consistency and quality right because if today you're getting like um, a good interview and like you're bringing the energy and it's fun and you're asking great interactive questions and then the next two weeks is kind of like mm, what's going on here the quality dips then that affects like the performance right and I think consistency like it just comes from two discipline. I remember like when I first started in in the sports industry and it's not it wasn't even just the sports industry. I had to write about data. Right. So it was I was getting started in the sports industry, but I was also getting started in the tech industry. And I would be like I would be crying because I was like, I don't know what to write. I need to like read 10 different articles in order to write like a thousand words. And this is painful. And then I'd be agonizing over it, procrastinating, think, overthinking, you know, it's like one thought leads to another. And then before you know it, you've wasted a whole day. And I don't know who said this, actually. Um, They said something about like the job of a writer is to write. So if you have two hours, you have to make sure that you write. And so then I started practicing that. So I would set my timer to two hours. And then I would sit there. and But what I would do actually before that is that I would think about, and this would be like for a maximum 15, 30 minutes, I would sit and think about my topic. What topic am I going to write about? What am I trying to say? Okay. And then this would be like maximum five sentences. I'm writing this topic, one. Um, the introduction is about this, two. I'm making these three points, three. And then the conclusion is whatever, right? And so then after I had that, I would disconnect. And then the next day I'll come back in. And then I'll set my timer to two hours and then I'll write. And at the end of that two hours, whatever I had, that was the post. Of course, I'd then wait and then re-edit. But the re-editing, you find that actually when you just sit and do without overthinking, there's very little editing that needs to be done at the end. It's just like spell checking and just like, oh, I started this the sentence like this. Maybe I need like a, a conjunction or something like that, you know? And so I think like um, yeah, I think like the consistency, the discipline, like just having that podcast and having like having to like write because I was writing every single week. That's why we ended up writing the book at the company, because it was just like so much consistency and so much. And I think, again, the second, the third point is that that consistency builds you up for bigger things. Right. Because after doing this for, for that long it's like okay now what's the next thing right it's not like you're jumping and leaving things uncooked and then going to the next thing it's you've been building it up and now okay now that we have written 120 articles on sports and data and data collection what can we do what's the next what's the next thing okay let's let's condense all of this into a book you know so it's like yeah so that's what i
0: <laughs> so that's the repurposing sorry my marketing brain's kicking in I'm gonna jump in because I can share things from my side that will help listeners. What Lorena said is spot on. She found her like I call it format. Stick into that format with those three steps, and then so for my end, when I teach podcasts, I say three P's: it's preparation, production, and promotion. If you don't have the promotion, the the preparation and the production is worthless. I'm being truthful. I spend now eighty percent more promoting. Then doing these awesome interviews, as much as I love rocking the mic with people, if it doesn't get to people's ears, which is you guys, honestly, that's where the data kicks in because then I see the metrics. So I've gone a bit big picture for everybody because with the consistency of my show over the last eight years, I always say podcasting is a lifestyle and it could be blogging is a lifestyle. Blogging is a lifestyle. If you treat it as a lifestyle with Lorraine's consistency point, it turns into a habit. I'd love to hear your thoughts relating to what I've said, but I I want to fill in the gaps just through my experience, which I hope can help the listeners on this sort of content creation segment of this wonderful conversation. But the mic's yours. I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah. And last week, I actually interviewed a guy named Ross Simmons. He's the uh, CEO and founder of um, Foundation, which is an agency that works sort of like with Fortune 500 um, brands and even small brands out in Canada. And um, how I found him, I, I connected with him via LinkedIn because I follow like his stuff. He, he's quite active. like he he was like 21 and he started like a fantasy league uh, blog post and then he then he sold that and he was able to raise enough money to pay for like a year's tuition. And, and, and you know North American University tuition it's not it's not you know they're not cheap. And so he also kind of talks about like that whole idea of uh create once, uh, distribute forever. And it's like it comes back to that 80% thing that you were talking about, is that like you could create one thing, and from that one thing, you can keep recreating and recreating and recreating. So like sometimes it's it feels like we focus so much on ideas versus execution when actually executing a bad idea is better than having 100 good ideas that are not executed well. And so I think that, yeah, 100%, you should focus on one, of course, the consistency, the quality, and just keep pushing yourself and keep learning, keep being curious, right? Because I think that's another thing where, because I, the nature of data talks, which is, I I absolutely love working at data talks. Um, The nature of data talks is that, they, of course, they're, they're objectives and they're set things like we would love for you to do one, two, three. But at the end of the day, whatever ideas you have that could help the company sort of go be even better in whatever way, those are welcome, right? And so then, how I have shaped my role at Data Talks is that whenever I was given like a a task, a KPI, or whatever, I would make it my own. I wouldn't go, okay how do you want me to do it? I would go, okay, I understand that what's important for you is one, two, three. So then how do I make sure that I do this and I learn as much as I can while being happy? because I don't believe in sacrificing your happiness for for whatever reason, you know. I believe so much in just following the joy. And if you can't find joy in something, it doesn't mean quit. It means dig even deeper, right? Because sometimes you're not finding joy in something because you're, you're really terrified of learning something new and you're afraid of failing. So then instead of quitting that thing, you want to sort of, okay, become friends with the fear of failure. So then you can eliminate that. And then at the end of it, you will look back and go, wow, how amazing was that journey? And you will get that joy from from that journey, right? And so that has always been my approach at Data Talks. And I've been really supported to actually like try different things and see how they go. And as well, whenever you're happy, you produce your best work. And when it comes to creativity as well, the more stressed you are, the harder you try, the less effective you become. Right. So you kind of want to just just keep the joy in there, just keep the joy in there, because then that will really keep your mind just like enjoying it and being curious. Right. So that you no, no one's holding a gun to your head and going, you need to learn. And so you're cramming like at school and it's like, oh, if I don't do this, I'm going to fail. It's like, oh, I want to learn about this. So I'm going to go. Exploring, and then you find out all these different things, which then makes your content stand out from the rest.
0: Hundred percent on the curiosity. Like, actually, I did a fun post. I'll try and find it on my Instagram. But about three years ago, when I hit the two hundred episode mark, I did like I uh, put my face on an Indiana Jones like face, and I that's what I call myself. when I started. I wanted to be the Indiana Jones of the sports industry from a career standpoint. And I know it sounds a bit fun, and you're get hey, Why? Why say this? But. That's why curiosities are so important. Like even this week's podcast is all about blockchain. I'm discovering new elements of the sports industry, which I'm tapping into. And it's that curiosity that makes you like, be like an adventurer. And I think that's how you should treat your content creation. But there's one thing before we move to today's podcast topic, because this is really important from my side, when I was looking at my content data, sorry, the data of my podcast I knew that was a skill whilst podcasting. I was like, okay, I'll give you one example. In 2018, I had so many people who enjoyed my legal, like sports law related topics. And I went, Ed, you've got to follow that now. Like people are listening more. I've got to follow that trend. I'm just curious how you work at Data Talks with your curiosity and your enjoyment of content creation that it improved your data analytics skills. Because I want the listener to learn that it's a bit like a balancing act of, content creation but seeing what the audience enjoys consuming through what you've created i'd love to hear your thoughts on that side of things
1: i mean um reporting or data analysis is like the key of everything that you do because if you can't just create something for the sake of creating it you can if you've got like i don't know if like somebody's bankrolling you and you don't care and it's like this is purely for my enjoyment but most people aren't we're not in that boat right we're trying to to achieve something we're trying to do something and so then if your goal is listeners you want to be able to to sort of look at where where are people listening to the most right and all basic kind of um, sort of podcast uh, hosts will always have analytics right so you can sort of look okay this is where People are more interested and all that kind of stuff. And then also just kind of digging deeper into like, okay, what why are they curious so that you can replicate it, right? And so it's like that's very important, and that's been very key to our marketing department. And it's across everything, across social media, across the podcast itself, across the website, across literally, and even just, do you know when people like maybe comment or something like that because sometimes you look at the bigger numbers, you look at, oh, everyone's saying like a hundred people listen to this right but let's not forget that listening can be like the first three seconds that's a listen or the that's a view on youtube or the first five seconds that's a listen or whatever like you have to look at each platform's like um measurement and how they measure but that that's also a listen right but for some people if like somebody's writing um oh this really changed my life blah, blah 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 and it's one person I personally think that's super valuable as well. And then when it comes to like, say, maybe because I were working now B2B because Data Talks, we we yeah, it's a B2B company. But also just seeing those comments of people being like, oh, this really helped us understand one, two, three. If it's not enough for you to start producing more content around that area, it's at least enough for you to start asking questions along those areas right you can do a poll to find out if there are more people that feel that way you can when you're meeting people at events or when you're doing like prospecting meetings you can sort of throw a feel out there just have it in your mind somewhere that oh this is something that somebody has said before and also like self-reporting I think that's that's the one I was looking for um, some self-reported I don't know what the actual term for it is but it's like self-reporting like sometimes your content won't That content that you think is key might not perform. But according to you, there's something there, right? So I think like even those little hunches, you have to follow them because you will understand eventually. And actually, isn't it better to be like, hmm, I had a feeling this might work. And then I tried it after 10 weeks and then actually it didn't work versus going, oh, I had a feeling this might work. But then I saw that nobody listened to it in the first week. So I never did it again, you know, because then when you see something, someone else doing it and they're doing it well you you're gonna you know you're gonna feel sad that you didn't sort of follow through you know so it's like as well the time frame of testing things out and trying things out because a podcast might do well because it happens to be easter or it happens to be christmas or it happens to be coinciding with some kind of event and so that podcast or that content does well but then when you try to do it again outside of that season outside of that circumstance it doesn't perform you know so there's always that sort of um, critical thinking that should be applied when it comes to data analysis and how it informs your content creation.
0: 100%. I've got two examples I'd love to share. Firstly, and this is, I like to keep mine evergreen, but I'm going to be real. Today is the semi-final with the Lionesses versus the Matildas, England, Australia. That's right now. Like they've, England have just won and we're recording this and it's my podcast today. It's a Wednesday. I wasn't going to stop it because of this massive event. I know I'm not going to get the traction, but I'm actually going to repurpose it two weeks later. So there's number one, um, because it comes back to my days at Durham University with my research-related modules. I'm so grateful for, because it's all about qualitative and quantitative research and how you analyze your data. But the final one I'm going to share, I think it would like this. I had Fritzy, who was the under-17s national Germany coach um, for the under-17s team. And they came to England. And she said this audio message with me where she said, "Ed, you wouldn't believe this. This taxi driver wanted to know who I was. So when I got in the car, they had your podcast. They were listening to my voice, who I was, before they were driving me to the training ground where they're training. And I'm like, I was like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? Like this is like the gold, everybody, with your content. It you don't know these little stories that how it influences people." But when you hear them, you're just like, well, it was worth it because that was a great podcast. It didn't get the traction from downloads. But hearing that one story, people have used it as a resource, which was my vision. So love this conversation because we're in the same boat of content and different experiences. But I do want to bring in today's podcast topic. And I'm going to paint the picture. I came across Lorraine on LinkedIn with regards to women in football. She was on an awesome panel with misha show who's a podcast special guest, and Maggie Murphy, who another story. I actually had to—I ta- was a taxi driver from Heathrow to Lewis because of the train strike. Because I went to that USA England game in October, and I ended up taking Maris Crystal Santos. So I had to pick them up from Heathrow because it's the only train destination, and I drove her to Lewis. I was literally taxiing her, asking questions, and I, I think she's a phenomenal person from a business standpoint. But I watched your session with her and Misha and you talked about gamification. I'm going, whoa, where's this angle here from a data standpoint? So today's podcast topic is like, how can gamification improve fan loyalty and revenue streams in a football club? And it's a big question, but could you also define what gamification is as well? for The listeners listening in.
1: I mean, gamification is nothing new, really, outside of the sports um, context. When you think about... um maybe like when you go to a supermarket and you are like a club member and it's like, oh, now you're level, like booking.com actually have this. (laughs) Now I'm promoting booking.com, but I do like booking.com. They have this where basically it's like, oh, you've booked um, hotels with us like this much. Unlock level, genius level one. Unlock genius level two, you know? So it's like, and my local coffee shop, uh, it's a coffee chain and everyone hates it because everyone hates chains. But I love it so much despite being a marketer because I know that every time I buy something, I get my stamp and then it's like, oh, the 10th drink is free. And if I bring my uh, travel mug, it's like the f- the fifth drink is free, you know? So it's like gamification is just that whole idea of just bringing those gamey elements to everyday life or to like everyday websites to, you know, it's like maybe, oh, now you've been on the on the website for five minutes. So you might get, um, I don't know, you will get every voucher or whatever. you know? So outside of the sports industry, this is something that's like quite common, quite, yeah, like it's been it's been done for a very long time. But now when we talk about the the sports industry, it's like generally, most of the time, like the traditional model, how how it was, it was that the fun was like reserved to the ninety minutes of the game and like the fifteen minutes before and like the fifteen minutes after. Without the club actually getting involved, you can organize like oh, you might go down and get a pint or whatever that's where but now that's up to you, right. But when it comes to like today's today's clubs, what they can do is actually is like they can sort of increase that momentum and increase that anticipation by creating different games such as like score prediction, right This is where you come in and say oh, I think, let's take the Lionesses in Australia. I think Australia, the Matildas are going to beat the Lionesses by 2-1. Oh, another person goes, but I think that the Lionesses will defeat the uh, Matildas by 3-1, right? And then you create something out of that. And so... Going back to what we said earlier, you don't just create stuff just for the sake of creating it for the the most part. Right. So you have a goal. And for some people, like the goal is like growing your database, which is something that we use at Data Talks a lot. That if you want to grow your database instead of begging people for their emails or begging your fans and just being like, please give me your email, because why should they? you want to give them something fun so that they can then be like oh my gosh have my email so that i can keep having more fun with you right and so when you have a score prediction game uh, for example you might use that to sort of grow your supporter database and what we mean by that is that you want to have your your supporters emails right because email marketing is much more effective than marketing just on social media when it comes to conversion actually there's a study i can't remember the numbers properly but Most people will wake, when they wake up, the first thing they do is check their emails versus social media, actually. So when we're, yeah. So then it's like, and most consumers and supporters are not uh, the exception. They actually look forward to getting offers via email. You know, so they're always looking for something like, oh, is there a discount? Is there something special going on? Is there this going on? And other industries have been really quick and fast on acting on this. And they send like loads of emails and all that kind of stuff. But the sports industry has been generally slow. I mean, due to even though it's like a billion dollar industry, you find that most clubs are understaffed. Most clubs are under like they're just overwhelmed with work and all those kinds of things. So they haven't had time to, you know, they don't have that time to create all these fun games and all that kind of stuff. But from a data point of view, you can provide your fans with something that they can then give you give you their email and then you have that contact information because then you can activate them right we spoke we spoke about um score predictions but you can also have like uh play of the match predictions for example you can have your starting 11 predictions or starting lineup. like the sky is the limit on this right but i think we're where like now, it might sound like I'm biased because I'm working for Data Talks, but I only choose jobs even though I, ne- I I needed a job and Data Talks happened to be hiring. I wouldn't have stayed this long at Data Talks if I didn't actually believe in what they were doing. And where the difference is, is that um, Data Talks do a thing called a customer data platform. And it's just where you put in all your data and you merge it all together so that it says something, right? Remember, we're talking about storytelling. It's like, A story is not just a story, you have to guide someone, it has to mean something, it has to say something, right? And so then when you collect your your supporter, when you grow your contact database and by collecting your like their contact information, your supporters contact information, in this platform you're able, and it's, it's all just one platform, you're able to then merge all this information that's coming in with the rest of your data, right? Data such as, okay, what has this person bought before? you know, have they bought tickets and what kind of tickets is it single tickets or is it um, season tickets and is it family tickets or whatever kind of other tickets you have? Have they bought, bought merchandise? Have they interacted with your sponsors before in like their brand activations? Have they? So it's all in one place. And then so when you're actually providing this game, it's not just about, oh, here's the game and we're, we're extending the fund for you. But it's like, now we'll get your information because then we know exactly what you want. Because actually the retail industry is quite good at this. And the reason the retail industry do this is because they know that the consumers, and this research done on this, they know that consumers want you to kind of read their minds almost. They want you to sort of suggest to them what they should be buying or what they should, you know, it's like you you buy shoes, like Zalando, for example. If you buy shoes, they'll be like, oh, other people, and Amazon as well, other people have bought this in conjunction with that. Oh, this would look good with that, right? Of course, they can say no. And if they want to say no, they should say no. But actually, consumers do like that, despite, <laughs> despite many people complaining and going, oh, they're making us buy all these things. Like, people do actually like that. They actually want you to, and if if you don't suggest things, then they feel kind of like, okay, these people aren't good at their job. They'd rather you suggest something, and then they say no versus you not suggesting things, right?
0: So go going deep on this because I, I I've been running in my also my newsletter for ages, and I always remember Chris Ducker said you must segment your list. You not know, you can't treat everybody in the same bucket. So going back to the platform with Data Talks about you said a great example with you could see somebody who's bought a season ticket to it individual game or they buy merchandise straight away you've got three different segments to communicate them on a certain one like here's an offer for three games for more than a five pound note for a women's game for example because we want to see change here but I'm just saying just for the listener we're going deep here but I hope people find this helpful but you're also trying to say that segmentation is vital during this whole data gathering as well just to elevate that point
1: Yeah. And you just mentioned like three different types of segments there. The platform, like we have a thing called an RFM model. So like recency frequency uh, monetary model where like another segment you can base on like how frequently have they bought this? So if you want to say you have fans and like, let's say you've got your data and in your data, it shows that 50% of your total fans only buy like, a, a general ticket once every three months and you'd like them to actually be at the games a bit more often you can segment on that you know so, so sort of the inactive the passive supporters and you want to turn them into a bit more active supporters because at the end of the day you want a full stadium not just for the money side but because a full stadium like you know that feeling when you're in a stadium and it's like full and it's packed and suddenly like the game it's just it transforms it gives it energy, you hear the chanting, you hear the, you just hear the soul in that place, you hear the spirit, and that just transforms everything for everyone, right? For the players themselves, for 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 the fans themselves, right? So then you want to take all your sort of inactive, sort of passive supporters and want to turn them into more sort of active and super, like really, really active supporters. That's that's another segment you can look at, which is the frequency. And then the recency is like, okay, did they buy a game? Like, did they buy a ticket like last week or did they buy a ticket a year ago? Right. So you want to then bring those people, again, who are sort of sim- sort of inactive, you want to get them to buy even more because maybe like, okay, why have they not been interacting? Is it because they moved countries or they moved whatever? Then you understand, okay, then the quality of, data, of your data increases as well because it's not just a matter of like, oh, if only 20% are active, you only just focus on those 20%. You want to focus on everyone else because that ensures that you're yeah, that no one is forgotten. Nobody wants to be forgotten, Yeah. You know? And so that, and the monetary part is like, you know, like there's, there's VIP packages, there's certain, we all have different price brackets. And outside of that, somebody could have a ton of money, but they're not interested in spending that money in a sports club and they'd rather spend it somewhere else. But you want to be able to identify who's like, who are your high spenders? Who are your VIP spenders? Who are your sort of like, they only buy like, they buy frequently by they buy in small amounts, right? Because in that case, could you imagine like you're sending me like a VIP offer when I can only afford that five pound ticket. It's like you not only have you wasted your effort, you're frustrating me in the process, right? Because I'm like, oh, I can't go to that thing, right? But then as well, at the same time, it's like um, we were talking to a, to, to someone, actually, uh, I can't name names. And they were talking about how, because just before the podcast, we were talking about the fact that women's uh, games cost only £5 in, in the UK. And I was saying, I hope that if England wins, not even if they win, just the fact that they made it to the finals, I hope that that's enough impetus for everyone to sort of kind of value the game a bit more and sort of charge a bit more. But somebody was telling me that sometimes people actually don't, they're not buying tickets to actually show up to the games. It's because they're that cheap. They kind of just donate kind of thing. So they'll be like, oh, here's £50, right? Right. But why not actually turn that into sort of like an offering, like a ticket offering, you know, where if somebody's willing to donate 50, 50 pounds, why not actually get them to the game and have them buy a ticket for like a 50 pound ticket or a 50 pound experience or whatever it is, right? Because that for me, that's an example of people are interested, but at the moment, because you're undervaluing it, they're not necessarily going, Oh this, I must be there. Do you know what I mean? And and
0: it is. Well, you're in the donation bucket. If we I love buckets because, you know, we're in that donation bucket. We want to turn that into an exclusive experience. Even if it's £50, pounds, it's just how it's packaged and how it's termed. So carry on.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I think like um, there is another study. Like I read, <laughs> I read quite a few studies. I think every marketer and every content creator is a reader at heart and the student at heart because otherwise, what are you creating? But um, there was a study done that shows that actually people value things that they pay for more than the things that they pay less for. So if you gave me, uh, say, my wristwatch that I'm wearing right now that I have on, if I got this for five pounds, I would probably just I don't care why I put it even if I forgot it at the bus stop in the rain, i will be like, ah, it was only five pounds. Right. So then it's the same thing with the, with the games. It's like, Oh, if it's raining, it's only five pounds. I don't need to go, you know, so I'll just stay home. Whereas like on, on the men's side, because they pay so much, they will go to those games in the rain. They will go, if there's like a train strike or a bus strike, it's like, we will find a way we will carpool. We will do whatever it takes to get to the games. And I think that, that gives it inherently like so much value, right? Okay, now I'm going off in a tangent, but I just wanted to to highlight that. And as well, like with your segmentation, you can identify those people because I'm not just, we're not saying oh stop having five pound tickets we're saying look at your data collect your data start off with the game collect that information merge it with your the rest of your data look at how people are purchasing and then from what you see if people are purchasing a bit more but maybe not showing up it's a sign that maybe they just want to support but they're not really interested they're not really coming to the games so then what what can you do you can try to get them more interested by giving them a product that matches their level of spending right and so then by that point when there's a 25 pound offer certain people will buy it you're not saying create the 25 pound offer so that you can eliminate the five pound offer it's actually going create a second thing based on what you're seeing people do right and so that's um i think the main thing that i'm trying to stress here is that you don't do gamification just for the sake of it just like we spoke about the stories you you don't just do things for the sake of it there's a method that you can follow and then um, the book i don't know if we mentioned the book now but we were talking about it before that um in the book that we wrote um it's called more supporters superior sales real revenue four fundamentals of selling tickets and merchandise and those are the four fundamentals that like, one you want to grow your supporter base but two you want to collect um that supporter information and with contact information right and number three you want to merge all of that with your other data being your sales data being your demographics data your behavioral data your website data your any kind of data that you collect right your merchandise sales all kinds of data that you collect you merge that all together so that instead of having five random actions that you see on five different software you have it in one place and you can identify that those five random acts were carried out by this one person and that person is Lorraine and this is their pattern right And once you've done that, it means that you can give me exactly what I want. You can send me the tickets that I want. If I'm a VIP customer, send me those VIP experiences. You know, if I'm a sort of like mid-range spender, send me those like cross selling stuff, you know, maybe like I want to wear a scarf on the game during the game. Like, do you have a discount on that? Okay. You know that I'm in that bracket that would appreciate that discount. So send it on to me, you know? So it's like, as well, like, um, now I'm kind of ranty-ranty, <laughs> but um, uh, there, there's another study, this time I remember that it's by Nielsen and uh, Nielsen Sports, and they're talking about how most people actually identify more with their club or any sports club versus their religion, you know, values-wise. So when you think about belonging, when you think about like that menu you sub- fan or that I mean, I'm a man.
0: <laughs> Let's do Lewis FC. Exactly. They're so value-driven. No, seriously, I, I've got an attention for them. I went to Lewis when I drove down Maggie Murphy. Seriously, when I went there and then I met Karen Dobres, who's been on the show, and I had a meal with her, everything's value-driven, that club. That makes everybody, and I'm from Cambridge. So it's like the other part of the UK. So I think, sorry, carry on, but I think for me, they're the best case study from a value-driven club in my humble opinion.
1: Yes, 100%. And it's like, it's all about, that's why like, it's so emotional, right? And anything that's emotional, it has like our investment in that sense because then we identify quite closely with it, right? And so if if fans are really pouring their hearts out and the players are pouring their hearts out, then it's up to the people at the back who are doing the business to really be able to, to connect that so that they actually give the fans what they want versus just this kind of capitalistic idea of just like, no, we'll just like publish whatever tickets and then they have to buy, you know? Yeah.
0: But I I want to dig deep on one element. Like the book is fantastic, everybody. I've read it. It's, it's worth the read. Like literally if you want to work in data, it's a must. And there'll be a link in the show notes. But there's one component I want to add because we've talked about gathering data, we talked about the methodology, which is the gamification. We talked about like um the monetization world. But there's one thing I want I think we need to emphasize a little bit more because it was a fascinating part in the book, how it builds loyalty. Like I think that's really key component of the pillars of it's all worth having all these tools and gathering the data, but how important is that loyalty component from a data standpoint for football clubs to understand? Because I think that's the the component clubs don't realise. Till they learn about it, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on the loyalty component
1: with sports. It's like unlike say retail, where there's no loyalty, retail is like, yeah, whatever makes me feel whatever's in fashion and will give me like some kind of symbolic value, I will buy that until next time when it's something else, you know, maybe this week we're Gucci gang, and then next week it's like we're Versace all the way, you know. So it's like in retail and other industries, like loyalty is quite a fickle idea. It doesn't exist. So you always have to const- constantly like wow people. Whereas in the sports industry, it's like this, the nature of the sports industry is that people are inherently loyal. It's just that sports clubs don't know what to do with that. Right. So it's like... um you know, like when you think back to the previous generation and even our generation, like, I don't know which generation you are, but I'm a millennial, like um, the millennials and the generation before. It's like, you pick a club because that's the club that your family like believed in, like that your family likes, or like you you live across the river. So everyone across the river is like supporting that club, but then everyone else across that river is like supporting the other the other club, right? And so it's like, traditionally, that's how it was. But now we're in this atmosphere or this environment or in this time where things are super digital and those traditional values of like i've picked you and i'm going to support you are sort of kind of fading right and so now sports clubs kind of need to compete and need to and if you look at america for example like the nba is very good at like making themselves like be seen and making themselves be culturally relevant and then boxing have started doing the same as well, where they're using like influencers, for example, the likes of Jake Paul, the likes of Logan Paul, the likes of KSI, who were kind of like making the sport relevant. And now KSI and Logan Paul's Prime is the official sponsor of, which team are they sponsoring again?
0: Bayern Munich, Barcelona and Arsenal. They're the three collaborations, sorry, those three recently. Yes.
1: So it's like, that relevancy has is is popping up right but then when you look at all these different and then you think about angel city in in the us it's like but they've got natalie portman they've got um serena williams and they've got these big profiles right and so now everyone not everyone can sort of things or have that attention right and so that's where gamification becomes like really important because it's it's like taking the power and giving it to everyone, making it available for everyone, right? And one of the key things when it comes to, like, gamification, and um, my colleague, Peter Kekesi, he wrote a study on this where he was um, researching, like, he was, he picked a European club which had, like, I think two about 200,000 contacts in their contact database, and then he showed that from, like, from the numbers, it was evident that those that opt in to marketing, so those showed higher, sort of uh, levels of uh, loyalty and by loyalty we mean like they're buying consistently they're showing up to games consistently they're buying more and every time there's an offer they they keep on buying in that sense right and so then the key to that to getting that marketing um, the opt-in which is sort of the highest level of like commitment and show of uh, sort of loyalty is that you can't just be begging people and just showing stuff on social media and being like please opt in please opt in you can but it'll probably take you years and years and years and years before you actually see anything substantial so what you want to do is what you want to excite people you want to entice people you want to sort of make them want to do it which is again where the gamification comes in and one of our customers actually and i'm i'm just going to i have the numbers here so i'm just going to try to to say them as that just in front of me because that way it's, it's a bit more accurate and you can get the magnitude of it. One of our customers, like they were one of the first customers when we started rolling out the gamification and started really teaching on like how they can use gamification, they were the first people to jump onto it. And they had like in the, within their first, like sort of three um, three campaigns with the gamification where they were doing like uh, score prediction, wheel of fortune, like those kinds of kinds, kinds of things they got like over 22,000 responses. And from that 22,000 responses, the new supporters were like 9,500. So these are people, individuals that had never interacted with the club whatsoever on this capacity. So suddenly they had 9,500 new emails and in total about 10,000 of everyone that responded to the gamification um, or the games that they had, about 10,000 people opted in to receive marketing and and we have a, another support another customer who's like they have very good like social sentiment, like brand, it's like amazing and everyone like whenever they post something people like like and all that kind of stuff but when we actually went into the to their data we saw that literally about only three or four percent had opted in which meant that they were losing like a lot of business. So then loyalty, what appears to be loyalty on the outside, sometimes is not necessarily loyalty when it comes down to to the business, right? And this is where that whole conversation of like soft metrics or metrics that don't really matter versus the metrics that are actually, you know, that really matter sometimes can come into like that whole discussion of like, okay, so what if I get 10,000 likes on my Instagram? but then I can't actually monetize on those 10,000 likes. Then it's like, yay, thank you for supporting me, but how can we get you to do something more, right? So this is where the gamification came um, came in. And then, so that's one thing, those um, sort of engagement metrics, but now looking at the money side, okay, what does this mean? So um, one thing that we focus on at Data Talks is increasing the average sort of purchase value of each supporter, right? Yeah.
0: This is where I'm curious now, yeah. the cost per yeah. customer. Yeah. Carry on. I'm g- we're getting our techies yes. heads yes, on now. Yes, Carry yes, on. Yes,
1: yes. And so then from, um, from the new supporters, they were able to, so these are like first, and we're talking like the first three campaigns. And when we say first three campaigns, I'm not talking like one campaign is lasting like weeks and weeks. It's like one campaign is like 24 hours. The next campaign is like another 24 hours. So it's like we're looking at about 72 hours of work here so like in total and so then it's like um per from the new the new supporters each supporter ended up spending about 115 euros yeah and then from the returning supporters because it's not just the new supporters right that that do the the gamification sometimes it's like the supporters that you already have but they come on again and then they 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 play the game, but again, this is where a platform such as the CDP comes in handy because you can sort of see that, okay, these are the returning ones because we've interacted with them before in this, maybe through a ticket, we can see that from the ticketing uh, system or we can see that from the merchandise system, but we have interacted with them before. And then the other ones where it's like, okay, this is the first time we've ever had some kind of, any kind of interaction with them. They ended up spending um, 70 euros each so you see that it's not enough to they spent less than the new the new supporters so it's always you have to keep bringing people in because people might be watching but are they actually interacting are they actually like are they actually even watching you know they might say like we i really like i don't know i really like lewis but are they actually like really liking lewis in practical sense or is it just a matter of like i like lewis in in words right but let's not use the Lewis example because we actually work with Lewis. So I don't want any of this information to be misappropriated. Um, but yes, so they ended up, the new supporters ended up paying uh, spending about 114,000, um, 115,000 euros. And then in total from the new supporters, like in that three day period, they ended up making about um um 20, 24,000
0: euros. So was that last thing, was there a budget to get those new members on board so on the opt-in did they have a marketing budget to I assume social media did they have a I'm just trying to see if there was a marketing budget
1: yeah yeah and like the ROI and everything
0: yeah potentially I just want the listeners to understand they didn't come there was an advert basically of some sort that I don't need to know the number it was more just to paint the picture or was it organic? If it's organic, great work.
1: This is going to sound too good to be true, but I promise it's true. Um, So it, there wasn't an advertising budget in that sense. It was more that when the investment itself was the CDP, which then is like when you think about, we've had cases where we did a trial for two weeks with, um, it was an ice hockey club, and we actually made the money in that two weeks and it was a trial. And it was all, because the, the thing with, our method is like we try to actually reach people because the thing with social media is that you just it's the same message for everyone right there's no personalization there's nothing that's compelling me to 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 sort of engaging with that right that's where the storytelling comes in where you can really if you know who you're talking to and if you if you have that contact information and you've segmented properly you can actually talk to them to that specific person which is why email is so so key because then you're actually delivering the right things versus most clubs just use social media and then on top of that they will maybe pay for social media advertising so facebook ads or things like that without actually so it's like throwing money at the problem but when you've actually have a cdp what you have is like all your information is already in that same place So what you're doing is you're creating the segment on in the CDP. So you're not paying anything extra outside of what you paid originally for the CDP. So you're creating those segments in the CDP and then you're building your email in the CDP, which has an email builder or an SMS. So it's not just email, but it's also SMS. And it's also like the likes of Viber. And we also have like Facebook um, lookalike audiences. You know, we have like, you can... You can send everything that you have directly to whatever channel, to Google ads, to Facebook ads, you know, and then like the accuracy of your audience like that you target on Facebook or Google is much higher because it's matching the audience to what you already have in the CDP, right? And so they didn't have to like pay that much extra. What they actually did is that they just created a landing page because um, and, and it's through the platform where like our gaming partner and ourselves they create so the club itself create the game on the through us which is already like paid for when you're sort of purchasing the, the the service in that sense and then you have a landing page and then just like any other landing page you can take that link and you can take it to social media you can take it to your email, you can take it to your Viber groups, you can take it to your blog, you can take it to wherever you want to take it, right? And so then that was the, then people started interacting with that on social media, you know? And yeah. so then...
0: So it has that pollination effect yeah. of the sharing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So then it's like, if you already had 100,000 followers on social media, instead of just them being 100,000 followers that you don't know anything about, you start funneling them in through gamification. So now you oh so now let's say you you know twenty thousand more so now you're left with eighty thousand to get to know so next time you create a different game you do like a wheel of fortune and then you get twenty thousand more you're left with forty thousand to so you know so the whole idea is to get all your fans to be part of the ecosystem to be if if they're going to really identify with the club on that level you want to give that feeling of yeah we are a family you know yeah we are all in we are a community you know and so then part of being a community in a community is being seen and part of being seen is being given what you want to see which then comes down to breaking down all that data which all started with gamification right so it's uh so so to answer your question they didn't have to pay anything extra they just needed to work with what they already had
0: Lauren, I'm so grateful. Yeah, carry on. I'm just grateful for that case study, but carry on.
1: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So throwing money at things um, is not always the answer. You know, it's always like the methodology, which is where like we focus a lot on the four fundamentals at Data Talks, like the four fundamentals. We say the four fundamentals of selling tickets, merchandise, and um, negotiating sponsorship agreements of higher value. Because when you think about, so on that side, you've done like, the gamification so then when you break down the I, I don't have the numbers for you right now but when you break down the 115 purchase order it's probably like tickets and um, merchandise or something like that but then when you're able to sort of show what you can do with your numbers to a sponsor to a brand that is fantastic especially when like I think like this is this is yet another tool in the toolbox for for like clubs that are maybe not the Manchester United of the world, you know, that don't have people throwing money at them to just for some kind of brand association, right? We're talking now clubs like your tier two clubs, like your championship clubs, um, across the world as well, right? Which is like where I I really love diversity and I, how we got to know each other is through that angle of women's sports, right? This is why I think it's so important for the women's side to really get involved and jump on these things, because if people aren't throwing money at you, you need to be able to know what you can do with your limited resources, right? So when you invest in that one thing, say like a CDP, for example, and then you start using it and using it and using it in order to get more people in, in order to activate in the right ways, in order to, because then you can get away and go to your potential sponsor and be like, look, from our data, we have, um, let's let's take Nike for example. Maybe Nike's is um their ideal sort of customer profile is like 25-year-olds, let's say 18 to 45-year-olds. And then in your club, you see that, okay, from your 100,000 followers or contacts in your contact database, they're like 18 to 45, and they're within that bracket that fits the Nike profile. You can then actually go to Nike and be like, hey, this is how much we're asking for in order for you to sponsor us. And this is the reason we're asking for this is because we know that we have the audience that you're looking for and we're able to, um, what's it called? We're able to activate them in one, two, three way, you know? And so, yeah.
0: Could we dig deep on this? Just, just take a step back. Let's say there's a, a club that don't have that data at the beginning. Like, like, let's say Manchester United, they've got the big data. They can back it up to present tonight. Would you say from a sponsorship angle it's better to do boutique packages that's personalized. Not That doesn't mean just slap a logo on a shirt and there's the personalization. I mean, the experience, the sponsorship experience is personalized for that brand to give them a go, to then build the data, to then go to these bigger funds to sponsor. I'm just curious because I, I, when I'm talking of the small, when I say smaller clubs, like the women's professional teams, I say Durham as an example, because that's where I went to uni. you are in... You know they compete against the bigger teams, but Durham haven't got that whole, should we say, uh, infrastructure as Manchester United's women's team. So I'm just curious from their end, they could do sponsorship packages that are personalised within the Durham communities to still get funds in, and then build that community based, which then builds the numbers, the data hub. I'm just curious because that's the hard balance. That's my point of the sponsorship side of things in women's sport. That's the challenge, not just in women's football, <laughs> same rugby.
1: Yeah, and, and we have come across cases where, like, we ask, like, okay, what what is your approach to sponsorship? And people will say, actually, we don't have an approach. And then you're like, okay, just explain to me what you've been doing. And what they basically explain is, like, we just beg for whatever's left over. And, like, we ask for CSR funds and we ask for those kinds of things, right? And so now what we're talking about is, like, survival, right, versus thriving, so, some, and it is true, some clubs are just trying to survive, especially on the women's side. And actually, um, I was part of the Sports Pro New Era uh, program. And one of the people that were in my class is a, a lady called Charlie um, Sizer. And she works at um, The Zone. And she wrote a brilliant article about the fact that when you look at um, the English. Sort of ecosystem like the pyramid for the women's side, it's like okay, the WSL is thriving a, a bit, the championship as well, slightly ish, but then everything else is like whoop. Reading, when they got relegated, they can't even afford to pay players to be full time, so now it's like kind of part time letting go of players, players having to go look for another team, you know. So it's it is like it is a sad reality, right. So in terms of survival, yeah, you do what you've got to do. You kind of try to get as much money as possible from wherever you can get. This is where the storytelling comes in, right? Because we don't buy products. We buy from people. We buy what, how that product makes us feel. So it's about knowing like, okay, what is my story? And even the disadvantage that you have can be your huge advantage, right? Like um, if you're the underdog, that's your story. Own it you are the underdog use that to get even more it's like look i'm an underdog but this i've been able to do one two three one two three one two three and you know so there's always a positive spin to two things that's what i believe anyway as a storyteller but i know it can be hard when you're in in that situation to kind of be like oh i'm the underdog and i can use that to my benefit but i say that to say that there's an audience for every single person and there are there are companies that are looking just to do CSR, you know, it could be like a company that's not even involved at all in the sports industry. That is like, that doesn't know much about the sports industry, but if you can put together a good story, a compelling story of why they should spend their CSR money on you, then they'll do it because for them, it's like positive publicity, right? Being able to be associated with helping local clubs in a time where billion dollar big clubs where americans and saudi leaders and rich people are buying up everything where like the likes of um ksi young youtubers are buying things out you can still stand out because you're like we're still local we're still providing one two three to 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 our community you know and then you find the right audience for that just because like maybe nike won't sponsor you does not mean that it's Nike that that you won't find a sponsor. And as well, I honestly think like it's enough with Nike and Adidas. I'm sorry, it's like, I'd love to see other players as well involved within the sponsorship stage, you know? So it's like, don't be afraid to ask people that aren't traditionally involved in the sports industry to sponsor mm-hmm. you. And if it is then CSR money, then see what you can, how you can make that money go a bit further, which is where now what we've talked about survival, which is where the thriving of using data comes in, right? The little that you have, make it go a longer way, right? Um, For us, for example, now I'm not, like, we realise, like, this issue of, like, people not having money and sports clubs not having money, especially the women's side. So we started doing workshops that are free, you know? So we do workshops specifically for women's clubs, and now we're going to try to roll them out for the men's side, for, like, the struggling teams as well, um, financially-wise. And so what we do with the workshops is we try to get the teams to walk away with an work, a working framework for their commercial strategy. Like, what is your future state? What is your current state? What do you need to have in place to reach your future state? What business outcomes can you achieve with this? What is your action point that you need to take today? And what, you know, that those kinds of things. And all of this is free. And we provide the workshop and we provide free consultation on like, okay, when we break down, like this is what you, this is what you're doing, but maybe because you said one, two, three, you can do one, two, three, four, five, right? And so then you have, and I'm sure there are other companies as well that provide more tangible things, and I'm gonna say uh, tangent. But my pet peeve is all these different initiatives that talk about like, we're going to help, we're going to help, but it's all talk. It's like you come on to the podcast and then at the end of the day, you go home and that's the end of the story. But try to find initiatives that actually provide you with value that even if you never continue a relationship with them, you can walk away with something from day one. And that's what we try to do at Data Talks. We try to make sure that with our workshops, with the book, like, The knowledge in that book it's like do you know how much people charge just to tell people that it's like they charge a ton of money you know it's like thousands and thousands of of just consulting to even get told what a what a segment is and what kind of segments you have right which is why with our platform we're working in a self-service way versus a consultation way because if we were to do consultation we would literally take all their money because that's how much that's how much it would cost. But when you do it on a self service way, where you go here, here are the tools, learn. Here's a simple tool that you can use, use it, that's a more sustainable kind of way. Right. And with with like I said to you before, that we had a um a prospect who we made um we made the money during the two week trial where they didn't even pay for the platform. Right. So then it's like it's so quick, you can recover your, you can get a high ROI and recover your initial seed money, so to speak, from just like a few couple of campaigns, right? It's just all about knowing the methodology. And so that's why like the book was so important because we wanted to just show that methodology of like, if you just follow this and you don't even have to follow it with us, we would love for you to follow it with us because then we can sort of see the impact that we're making and how much impact the methodology is creating but just take the methodology and work with it and see where it leads you.
0: 100%. Now, before we wrap up, I do want you to recap a little bit with us, the community. Could you just, because it's really involved in the book. Um, There's many scanning codes, which I need to scan in and, and be part of it. But could you just share to listeners what uh, the Women in Sport community group is all about and, and real the mission behind it as well?
1: Yeah. And uh, you remember at the beginning, I spoke about how like, the part what i learned from acting and the power of storytelling is that you never preempt the story that's how the community started we just knew that we wanted to make a change within the women's sports space and then we sat down and we said what do we have to that we can actually start doing today because we didn't want to get stuck in a in a sort of loop of like oh if we only had money we could do one two three so we looked at our resources and we're like "Hmm, storytelling once again uh, and I had just joined the team and our love for storytelling we like one of the things that actually um, is has been there aren't that many studies on women's sports what one of the studies that is well known and one of the most quoted um, number or thing is the fact that Globally, women's sports um accounted for only 4% of all media coverage, right? And so we wanted to contribute to some kind of visibility to make sure that these women's stories were brought to the forefront. And so that's when we started in, um, inviting them to the podcast. So one memorable person is uh, Rebecca Soden, who's also the co-founder of correct the internet. If you don't know what correct the internet is, you you need to find out. Like, you will know today, please Google it. And she's one of the people that... So basically, like, the algorithm on Google, like, whenever you say who's the most the highest goal scorer at a FIFA game or whatever, they will always show the men when actually most of the time it was women, but they were never counted. Right. And so they're working to get that corrected. And now Google has actually come out with a statement to say that the algorithms will be better. They'll be improved. They're trying to make sure that those kinds, of, so those are the kind of people that ended up coming, but at the time she hadn't done this. Right. So at the time we weren't trying to get like the, the most accomplished women to come on, because we wanted to show the different stories of the women within the sports industry and bring visibility to everyone. Because chances are, if somebody's at the top, everyone's trying to interview them anyway. So we wanted to sort of bring in that coverage. And So then we started bringing in the coverage and then the information that we were getting, it just felt very selfish to sit on that information. So that's when, again, not preempting the story, we realized that there was an emerging theme of like so much is being shared, but very few people are able to sort of have access to those people right so of course we had the podcast so people could listen to the podcast and they could connect with the person on linkedin but then we took we went the extra mile and then created that community where it's like okay now we're actually going to have a community platform where people can join and they can have conversations with each other and then we can also facilitate with different events right and then what happened within the community is that we would start to identify certain people that maybe we had like um A sort of synergy or like an opportunity for them Um, an example is a lady called karen ramirez she's one of our most active community members we saw that she was so engaged and just really passionate about everything that we did that we asked her to be a contributor on the podcast so every fourth week she publishes a uh, podcast episode and her area of expertise is like athlete uh, sponsorship so she she talks about sponsorship and she kind of talks about the current affairs with, and in terms of sponsorship as well. So then opening up to them. And then we had other people coming in as well and being like, oh, is there a way of actually earning money somehow through the community? And they were asking about a platform because they're like, wow, it sounds fantastic. And then we're like, OK, for sure. If you want to be one of the people that actually opens doors or actually like a reseller or whatever you want to be, you will get a commission, right? And then they start to discuss, okay, this is how much commission I want. And it's always fair rates because it's like this is our community. So this we value It'll be our win-wins, wins,
0: So Which yeah, is great. Always win
1: wins, right? Mm-hmm. And so then um certain people were like we would love to do that. And so then we started signing on some partners. And you know, so then like some people want to write blog posts. And I know you've interviewed Lucy Mills, who's also part of the community. Lucy Mills how we met we met through the podcast because I was interviewing her and then we were going to an event in in Germany called Spobis which is one of the biggest sporting events in the world and then she we were we were happening to talk about web3 and Lucy Mills has a company called Ready and they specialize in web3 and so then we're like obviously instead of me or someone having to read up on web3 and trying to pretend to be an expert why not just get Lucy Mills to come and Join us and talk about uh, Web three. That's publicity for her company, and we're building a relationship and all that. We're giving back; she's giving back to us, and all that kind of stuff, right? And so then that that's where the opportunity matching and everything like that, and that that's continuing even today. So if anyone here is listening and wants to join the community and wants to contribute something and wants to be active and have a a platform or a company backing them as as a thought leader like you're more than welcome to come on. And then what happened is like, again, not preempting the story, but allowing the need to show itself so that you can actually then feel it. We realized that on our customer side, a lot of people that sign up are the men's teams because it's just a proven, there's another study. Here I come with a study. (laughs) There's another study that's, um, that's shown that actually, if you say business breakfast, Most it will be men that will come mostly, the women won't come. But if you say women's breakfast, business breakfast, women will come, you know. So, whenever you slap on the women to the front, it makes women feel more like, oh, this is a space for me that I can come on to. So, then we started thinking about the fact that actually, when it comes to needing to increase your ticket sales, needing to increase your merchandise sales and getting sponsorship agreements of higher value. Like there's a huge need for the women's side. But why are we not seeing that represented on sort of customer side? Right. And so then we started, uh, we expanded this community, this initiative, though I didn't say the name, Women in Sports Beyond the Hashtag. Um we, we expanded that to be like, and that's when we started doing the workshops that I was telling you about earlier, that we want this information to be available for everyone. And that's why there's a whole chapter for women's sports specifically, because we want women and people that are in the women's sports space to easily identify that this is a thing for them that they can take advantage of. And so then with the, with the workshops, what we do just to reiterate is that we offer like, two free workshops where we go into like deep depth about like your commercial framework and how you can start selling whatever your commercial uh, goals are how you can meet those goals what you need to have in place um, how you like where you are today and where you need to go those kinds of things and we really break it down so that at the end of those um, workshops you can actually walk away with something right and then we do like a free audit and a free consultation where we really go into okay Hmm. it looks like you have a hundred different software. This one you don't need, this one you don't need, this one you don't need. This one, we get what you thought it meant, but you actually don't need it. You needed that one, you know, those kinds of things. But then at the end of that, everyone has the option of opting into a commercial partnership if they want to. So none, none of this is done on the contingency of like, oh, you have to. You get all of this for free. And if you do choose to go into a relationship with us, which hopefully is for a minimum of a year, because you can't see much results that you can then like track and replicate in anything less than a year, right? And so then at the end of um of, of those the end of the cycle, during the cycle, whenever you want, you can be even like the first meeting and you're like, yeah, I want to work with you, you can do that. If it's like, oh, it's been three years, but then you decide, okay, I want to work with you, you're welcome still. You know, and then at that point, the idea is that we give you dedicated handholding so that everything that I told you about that may sound too good to be true, that you can actually see it done for you as well. And you can be a part of learning how you can do it for yourself. Right. Which goes back to the self-service and the upskilling that I was telling you about of like if we just did the consulting and we just did everything behind the scenes and you didn't know what was happening, that wouldn't solve anything in the long term, you know. And so then with the initiative, we grew to there. And that's what we're focusing on right now Um, in parallel with all the other things of like giving opportunities, um, giving visibility and having the networking opportunities. But we also try to make sure that sports clubs that are working predominantly with, within the women's sports space, that they know that they can get all the, the workshop and also come into a commercial
0: partnership with us. I hope people are taking notes because this is really refreshing to really, I'm serious, with the guidance side of the community. Lorraine, I want to bring it back to your career now. What have you enjoyed the most from your career journey looking back right now?
1: I think I've enjoyed... Uh, I, I don't know if it's unique to Data Talks so or if it's like... But I, anyway, okay, I'm not going to it myself. But I've enjoyed the support that I've had from Data Talks, to be honest, because I don't necessarily think that I would have been able to do what I've been able to do without the people that I've had in my corner in that sense. When I first, I'm quite like a vivacious person. I'm like, I'm here, like let's go type of thing. And straight away, the, the person who hired me, um, she was just like really supportive, really just asking me questions. I think everyone loves being asked questions. But even though we know that other people and we like being asked questions, we don't quite do it ourselves, right? So it's not me pointing a finger and going, oh, that person's not asking me questions. I don't ask enough questions. But actually asking questions and really listening to people and when they show an interest, really encouraging them and really asking them even more questions that make them realize that actually they can do this. I remember I had a conversation with um, Dionysius, who's my current manager, and um, he was like, because I had just gotten promoted, and I felt, you know, like the, the the anxiety of a promotion. It's like, where to now? What do I do? Like, what do you want me to? What do you, do I need to prove? You know? And he was like, I didn't hire you so you can prove. I didn't promote you so you can prove yourself. I promoted you because I know that you you're already doing what I need you to do. So I would love you to do it officially now. And then I was like, yeah. So I think for me, what I've really enjoyed is like kickstarting this journey with Data Talks especially because when I joined, I had no clue about tech. I had no clue about sports. I was not interested at all in any of these two areas. But then to have a team that's super, super supportive, a team that understands that I'm the kind of person that pours myself into things and sort of cherishes that without, without taking it for granted, right? Because sometimes when people do things, when they go above and beyond, we can take it for granted and expect it from them. But nobody has ever expected these things from me. They've just always kind of been appreciative of. Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to the humanity. When you have when you work in a decent place, like it all comes out, it all it all flows up. You know, so I think that has been the highlight of like the opportunities I've gotten. I've gotten because of the people that are in my life and because of Dr.
0: Talks. I'm so glad you mentioned the humanity side. I'm going to bring us in really quickly with the answer to how we got connected. Everybody, it was just one audio message that sparked why this was so deep, this podcast. Seriously, meaning how we were just human. Like I've just done a triathlon for charity and that made it more real. Nothing data related, nothing sport industry related is just treating people like humans and being passionate in what you do. Um, But I want to finish with an inspirational question, which I always do, Lorraine, with my final one. And feel free to recap. But for people who have listened to this whole podcast, what like three tips would you give them with the a career in the sports industry?
1: I think one go with the flow, and I say that because now that you, I'm kind of changing my answer now from what I had uh, thought I would say when you originally said this question. Steve Jobs, he, I think he's, he's the one that said that um, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? So sometimes you just need to go and you just need to flow. And then you look back and it's like, ah, it makes sense. Right. Because for me, it's like I need a job. I need to go somewhere. I need to do something with my life. I decided to do it. And then now looking back, you know, so go with the flow, but also to be present. I think that that's something like sometimes we're so many things are coming to my mind. Sometimes we sort of like we're here but in our minds we're somewhere else so then we're not giving our best you know and we're not actually able to identify opportunities we're not actually able to identify where we could just be human and then actually that humanity might bring us something back so just being present and being learning and growing because actually when I started at data Talks like um, uh, two years ago I wasn't this person I, I I had all of this in me, but it hadn't been trained out. It hadn't been sort of, you know, but because I was present to the process of like, you remember I was telling you, like, I had to write blogs and I had to read like 10 different articles. And I was crying because I was like, why? You know, I was like, what what have I gotten myself into? But because I was present and I allowed myself to go with the flow, I allowed myself to learn something from those and become the person that I am today. Because everything is in you, right? Your, your cap- capacity. Barack Obama, when he was born, he was born with the ability to be president, but it's not that... But he had to be trained into it, you know? He couldn't just be, like, a baby at five, like, here's the president, right? So it's like, just be present. Be present to the challenges, to the opportunities, to everything, and just give it your give it your best. And I guess, like, as well, just be human, you know? It's like we're all human at the end of the day and I don't mean to sound dark but this this is a thought that gives me like so much comfort that like I'm gonna die one day you know so it's like I need to enjoy my life now and make it as meaningful as possible now and not try to postpone my joy again going back to the concept of joy to like a later time because I don't know when my time's gonna come you know it might be when I'm a hundred or it might be who knows you know so it's like just just be human, just enjoy, just be positive, just look at things, look at the glass half, half full with the capacity to be filled all the way to the top, to overflowing, you know, just um and to, to end end off something that I've been meditating on that I had a conversation with my mom about and with my partner about is the idea and my sister, my entire family is the idea of like you don't know what you don't know. And I think that is such a sobering thing because one, it should give you comfort because it's like, ah, I don't know. I'll find out soon soon enough because different interactions will bring different things out of me. But at the same time, it's like, be humble. You don't know everything. You don't know what you don't know. Be curious, be open, be willing to, to hear a different perspective. Be willing to try something new because you don't know what you don't know.
0: It's just you putting yourself out there. Same with like, Lucy Mills bringing her you know we're ready it was sparked with curiosity through the web three journey and they're sharing their lessons with their courses which I've done by the way as well so that's such a good point of knowing what you don't know and and putting yourself out there wow what a conversation like hope you've all enjoyed it everybody but Lorraine how can people interact with you on social media like where the best places to go and data talks as well
1: yeah, awesome. I think the best place is the community because uh, we're really trying to grow the community because we've seen how fantastic it is for all our community members to be able to have to be surrounded by like-minded people. And I heard a quote. I'm sorry, I'm not going off uh, topic, um, but I was interviewing Ross Simmons again, like the, the the Canadian uh, CEO of Foundation. He and he said a quote by Nipsey Hussle, who was like a rapper. And it was like, if you look at the the people around you and they're not uh, lifting you up, you no longer have an inner circle. You actually have a cage. <laughs> right. So we've got. <laughs> so come be surrounded by like minded people. Um, and I'll share the the link to I'll give you the link to the community and then you can share it with them. And then as well, if you are like I me, mean, LinkedIn is everything, right? Follow Dr. Talks on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn, and as well, try to get if you work within a women's sports club, a league, a federation, whatever you're a rights holder, work within the rights holder space. Um, ch- check out our workshops, like our program. You know, get in contact, and then we will try to arrange something so that you can be involved as well.
0: That is awesome to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website with regards to this awesome podcast chat. Lorraine, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. I went from super nervous to like really in the groove and enjoying your just all your questions. And I got to reflect as well as we were going about like the acting and what I learned and all that kind of stuff. So thank you very much for the invitation to come on.
0: Wow. This is why I love podcasting. And I have to firstly say thank you. Lorraine for being a podcast special guest and then the second person I've got to thank is you yes I mean you listening in we've done over an hour and a half of your time which I do not take for granted but I really do hope this has supported you because for me this conversation just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it 's all all intertwined, even starting out from the get go with Lorraine in acting and how it helped to be a better marketer, and then we looked at gamification with regards to how to interact with audiences, then also like email marketing and how that integrates with fans and clubs and football industry, it all interlinked, and it was just like a conversation I didn't really want to stop, to be honest, but I'm mindful of your time. But from a gamification point of view relating to data analytics, I hope you've got a better understanding, but also see the bigger picture as well, which Lorraine was talking about with using different studies, looking at human behavior of how customers... You know, I even love the example of the 50 pound offer instead of looking at a football game or a women's football game for only five pounds a ticket to an offer for 50 where they get a different experience where people are willing to invest more to support the women's game as an example. And then without a doubt, check out their community, like what data talks are doing in the sports industry. I just love what they're doing. And I learned a lot from their book. There'll be a link where you can check that out. But overall, I really do hope you've enjoyed it. But it's one of those conversations which I have to say, you've got to put the kettle back on, grab a coffee or a tea and re-listen to it. Because I promise you, when you re-listen to that conversation again, you're going to learn something new, which I know I will. After getting my new cup of tea and really applying some of Lorraine's points into my development, if it's the podcast or my personal development in general. So look, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. And most importantly, apply one sports career tip, which you apply right now to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote. Lorraine said, go with the flow and be humble and be willing to learn new perspectives on areas you don't know to support your personal growth.